special edition of the Half Court Press podcast. A, um, I don't know what do we call this? What do we call this one, Chris? It's the um, social distancing. I think we said the last one was sad. This is a new level of sad, right? Yeah. Um, half a city apart, but connected via online. Yeah. Means. Zoom, which I'm sure literally everybody knows about now, which I certainly didn't uh, two weeks ago, but now I've used more than, you know, than almost any other website. I, I was a Google Hangout guy, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden now Zoom, uh, Skype before that, so a, a lot of options. I was a Skype person, and, okay. then, and then apparently, I don't know what happened to it. It's, it's the blockbuster of, uh, of talking online now, I guess. I think it's still around, but Zoom has definitely become very popular, and we're glad to be able to use it to record our podcast, where we're going to update you on some local hoops news. Nebraska and Creighton, the two teams we cover, we'll start by thanking our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings. Uh, you, a lot of restaurants are struggling, obviously, right now, so if you have it in your heart or you got a little uh, craving for some extra food, Support your local restaurants, Buffalo Wings and Rings. Got a lot of people, fine people working um, from our city there. So there you can order online, give them a call, get some wings, uh, enjoy some good food. So thanks to Buffalo Wings and Wings for sponsoring the podcast. Chris, I mean, if it was a normal year, we'd be talking about the first two weekends or first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad that we can't. How have you made do without basketball in your life um well i actually to be completely honest the what cbs did this weekend of re-airing like just the best basketball games it could find over the last you know 40 years that was great that 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 was that was worth it i mean i woke up on sunday well first i watched um you know the jordan game 82 until the press conference broke in and then watched the 83 NC State game, uh, and that was great. It was spectacular. Um, and then Sunday I woke up and watched the 2008 Kansas-Memphis game, which reiterated to me it's the second-best basketball game I've ever watched live. Um, only the Game 7 LeBron uh, when the Cleveland actually won. That was the best game I've ever watched. Uh, but being able to watch that live while Bill Self live tweeted it, it's yeah. been really cool because it's also like like all these basketball junkies all like without coordinating are just on Twitter and watching CBS at the same time. So you're like people are sharing stories about when they were covering or what they remembered about you know this specific moment. It was cool having Bill Self be like, I remember I you know we we did a triangle and two here, and this is why I never do a triangle and two ever again. And like just kind of getting those little insights was really interesting and cool. Um, so that's, that's how I've been passing my time. You, you've gone down the YouTube hole, right? You've gone, you've gone down a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, the game I wanted to watch real bad, I'm sad that it's not on CBS list. Cause like you said, it's been awesome. And it's been really cool to see coaches and players like tweeting or Instagramming, whatever, mm-hmm. following the previous or their past games. Like, and you know, on Saturday, I think we were all on Twitter and you and I were both on Twitter anyway, like watching NC State Houston and tweeting mm-hmm. with some people about the game and so that like it's almost as if it were live right uh, for a lot of us we probably haven't sat down and watched the whole game from start to finish before so it was a new experience in a way yeah um I yeah I think CBS Sports Network is going to replay some more games this week so not on the big CBS the main network station but 
if you've got a cable subscription, like it's probably going to be worth checking that. Yeah. What was the game you said you wanted to watch? Oh, Wichita State, Kentucky in like 2014, Ooh. I think, when was Wichita good. was the one seed. Mm-hmm. Fantastic game. So yeah, I can go back and see some clips of that. But yeah, I BTN went, I think on, I think on Sunday went Michigan, Kansas. Oh my gosh. Elite eight, right? That was the Trey Burke shot. Trey Burke, yeah. That game Trey was Burke so game. good. Dude, dude had zero at halftime and then like could not really? be stopped. Yeah. I will say uh, that Michigan Louisville final was one of the better finals in the last 10 years too. Oh yeah. Remember, that was a really good game. Beeline set, uh, was it Beeline who set Burke for like the whole first half because he got in foul trouble? Anyway, yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, uh, Kansas, Michigan was really good, and they followed that up with Purdue, Tennessee from last year, which was oh okay, yeah, incredible, uh, an incredible game. So, I've definitely tried my best to relive some like what I described on Twitter is just March absurdity, mm-hmm. where you, you're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like, why is this happening? Um, and so, hopefully, we can get some more. I saw, I think I saw. No, the Valpo shot game is on the docket. Really? Um, there's, I don't know, a Kansas Duke from from two years ago here in Omaha is, mm-hmm. is going to be replayed on CBS Sports Network coming up. That was a great game. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good stuff. So it's helping. I don't think it really fills the It's itch. helping, but it's hurting, too. <laughs> it hurts. Like, I can't it, even see a bracket right now. Like, I can't yeah. look at a bracket. That, all these, like, mock brackets, um, in, in, even the ones that are, like, rank or or who's what's what's the best office episode or the best wing or the best rap album or whatever like i can't even look at it. i'm like yeah face. i will say in a dumb small anecdotal story to to so on friday night um my wife and i did a like virtual happy hour with friends that live in virginia so we just like pulled up facetime and like, sat down had some drinks some talking or whatever and there was um there was a taylor swift bracket that came out uh on twitter and we filled that out. And even just doing that, like I was sitting there trying to think about like an Elite Eight matchup and I was like getting excited about it. And I was like, this is my life now. Like yeah. this is, I, w- I so wish I was trying to decide between like Dayton and like Michigan State, like for the Final Four or something like that. And, and instead it's like Tim McGraw versus you know, something else. And it was like, man, this is, this is our life now. Yeah, this is not right. This is not right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's our reality. The coronavirus, the threat of it is serious. And obviously a lot of uh, communities across the country are taking measures and trying to prevent the spread. So we support that initiative, which is why we are recording this podcast uh, online only. Mm-hmm. One another. Um, I, well, well, I guess we'll start with Creighton because I yeah. feel like... Because the Jay- you, should be, you, you should be or could be. I guess today's what Tuesday. You might have you might be traveling today, today or tomorrow to their first Sweet Sixteen berth. Like that's alter- kind of what this should have been, right? Yeah, an alternate reality. It's still, mm-hmm. I, I guess, my question. Maybe from your perspective, do you think Creighton would have made the Sweet Sixteen without Marcus Zagorowski? <sighs> maybe. I think it depends on the matchups. Yeah. Like I think they could have. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind in my head is I remember sitting talking with you about a couple games where Mitch Ballack scored like two. And they Zero won by, against Dean Hall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like one by 10. And so I think Mitch, I think we would have seen a different version of him. And I think Tyshawn would have played really well. And I think they would have been able to figure some things out. But I do think there was a point, 
I'll stand by this. There was a point where Creighton was a Final Four caliber team. And I don't think that that would have been – like their ceiling definitely came down when he got hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they could have. I think they could have squeezed their way into into a Sweet Sixteen without Marcus. Like I, I, I could see that. They now normally Creighton didn't. It was like if Marcus didn't play well, it usually it, a lot of times it didn't go well. Um, mm-hmm. Now Creighton did beat Arizona State when when Zagorowski wasn't at his best. Um, Creighton beat Providence at home. Now Marcus Zagorowski hit the game winning shot but he had like six turnovers and he was sick that day. So he had played a bad game up until that very last moment. Mm-hmm. So the Jays have survived at times without him, but on the biggest stage, I don't know. They would have had a couple of weeks to kind of figure it out. And we got a 20 minute glimpse of what it could look like against St. John's, but those were weird circumstances in the big East tournament before that mm-hmm. game was canceled. So it's hard to know. Um, I'm kind of with you. It's like a matchup thing. Um, and probably a making threes thing. Like if mm-hmm. Alec Alexander against St. John's, I think they started one of eight from three. I was like, they, it, and I got uh, Christian Bishop got in foul troubles. Like those two yeah. things can't happen. Foul trouble, not making threes. They would not make the Sweet Sixteen without Marcus. Yeah, it would have been interesting because I think the thing that we talked about a lot was Creighton. In some ways, in the last you know five, six, seven years, it's always been like if they can make threes, they can beat anybody. If they can't make threes, they can't. And this year, it was a little different, where there were points where even if they weren't making threes, they could still win. And that was kind of the next level. I think it would have been one of those things where they would have gone back to, they have to make, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 threes to win. And if they didn't, then they, then they wouldn't have been able to. So I agree with, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and like, it was one, of the, I think Creighton's thing with the three-point shot is just as long as they don't shoot horribly, mm-hmm. like four of 27, they're, they're fine. Right, but they did shoot horribly a couple times in those games, so obviously it did not go well for the Jays. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that we kind of have to speak in hypotheticals, and I know that the Creighton players are disappointed, coaches, fans, everybody's disappointed. Obviously, that they couldn't get their chance to at least prove themselves on the big stage. Who knows what would have happened? Uh, like, like you mentioned, Mitch Valley, Tyshawn Alexander, those guys are really capable players that could um, have erupted and and kind of sparked Creighton on a, a deep run. Um, even without its point guard, so that kind of that 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 what if will always sort of um, it will never dissipate from this season in particular. As 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 um, remarkable and historic as it was for the Jays, I mean they finished seventh in the AP top twenty five highest ranking highest. It's it matches the highest ranking in school history. It's by mm-hmm. far the the highest ranking that the Jays have had in the final AP. Uh, top 25 of the, of the year. Um, you know, they beat six ranked teams, won the Big East or share the Big East for the first time ever. Uh, had a lot of just incredible moments. If if you're a diehard Creighton fan, like you'll remember the Marcus Egorowski shot against Providence. You'll remember the crazy, just sort of lopsided, put teams away runs that they had against DePaul and Georgetown. Um Butler, that beat down. I mean, that was an impressive display. Obviously, the way that Creighton closed against Seton Hall, got the court storm, unveiling the banner, and um, and uh, and celebrating on the court with trophy, uh, the trophy. I mean, to go back to the non-conference, I'm sure that Jays fans are will still enjoy relishing in the fact that they beat Nebraska as soundly as they did. So they're like, there are a lot of high points, but ultimately a season is defined by what you do in March in college basketball as fair as that fair. It's really not fair, but 
um, for as how, how much work goes into November till the end of February. But March is like where legacies are formed and where coaches get hired and fired because of how they do in March. And so it's for this team, the way it was formed, obviously Marcus Zagorowski injury excluded, like at the start of the month, it looked like the best Creighton team ever. I mean, the way that it was rolling and now it doesn't get a chance to prove it in March and that kind of stinks. I was going to say, what do you think is going to be when, as we get further away from the season, do you think people will, will the prevailing feeling be this season was stolen away from Creighton? They could have done something special or do you think it'll be, you know, we had, you know, we had these memories, Marcus was hurt. Let's just take it as it was, you know, like what do you think, you know, in July and August, people are talking more about how great the season was or how, you know, how, how it ended and it was taken away. And there were so many questions about what, what could have happened in, in the tournament. It might depend on next year. Since the majority of the players come back, um, if, if that year is a success and Crane's able to do something in March and has never done, then perhaps this year will just kind of be looked as, you know, yeah, that's, that was a bummer, but. Uh, At least it, the next year we got it. Yeah, so. right. It set, set the stage for, uh, you know, another sort of step forward. Um, I'm, I'm just bummed uh, from the fact that like Creighton spent the full season sort of tinkering and mixing things, mixing and matching and finding a way to make it work. Even though the Jays didn't have a lot of depth, they had limited size. Um, yet they kind of just like, they found out, Oh, here are our strength and strengths. And they sort of maximized that. And it was quite remarkable to watch them, you know, go up against teams that were taller at every position, basically. I mean, they were the, Creighton was the worst rebounding team of the big East by far in, in a league where rebounding matters a lot. They got some, you got some good offensive rebounding teams, especially in that league. And yet the Jays won it, you know, or tied for first. And I wanted, I was eager to see, even without Marcus Zagorowski, because that's one of the themes of the season for this team has been sort of like, we take hits and we're going to keep coming at you type thing. Um, I think that the competitive juices would have motivated this group to perform at its best in March and maybe prove some people wrong, prove me wrong. Because like I said, I, I don't know if they would have gotten past the first couple weekends or first couple games first weekend. But I think that it's unfortunate they don't get that chance to prove it because time and time again this year, they were proving me wrong, proving a lot of people wrong. You know, like uh, at, when they were sitting at two and three in the Big East, uh i think the conversation was are they going to make the tournament like i think yeah. they're going to make the tournament but are like where are they how are they going to and then so then they were going to be they could have been a two seed you know what i mean right. going right. from as the season rolled two. on it, it yeah. kept being like well they're raising the bar for success and so um their goal would have been to keep raising the bar even though they were down a man so that's unfortunate but yeah i think the way the season will be remembered probably is going to be determined by next year yeah and that's a really good point one thing that I just that just dawned on me, I think we talk about we talk about Fred Hoiberg a lot when we talk about Nebraska, but I don't know if we talk about Greg McDermott as much in terms of Creighton. And I'm curious what you think that season meant for him. Just because I mean, I think that I mean we I I you know, down in, in Lincoln and in Nebraska, um, people follow Creighton. They they like to say they don't, but they do. And the things that they say about McDermott at the beginning of the year was like, well, you know, there's a ceiling on Creighton and they can only do so much. And, you know, maybe, you know, 
you know, Rasmussen would never do anything, but the Creighton fans are getting a little frustrated about X, Y, and Z. And I feel like that's all completely gone now. I wouldn't say so exactly okay. yet. Because, I, like, I think whenever you're at a place for a long time, Greg, he just got done with his 10th year, you're going to have detractors. Like, there's going to be a portion of the fan base that's ready for something different. Even if you're having a, a consistent amount of success, like, there's all the the – the bar is always higher and the fans always want more. Like even at Kansas, right? Like weren't, pe- wasn't there a portion of fans saying like Bill Self, let's fire this guy who's won like 13 straight. Yeah. Yeah. After. Well, yeah. We, they didn't like, get to the, the final four. Right. Cause they kept hitting the wall in the elite eight and people were like, we need to get to final fours. Well, Creighton, they're like, we need to get to sweet 16s. And so yeah. if you can't do that, there's a portion of the fan base. That's like, well, we got to get somebody else that can do it. Yeah. You've come um, to find out what you haven't done, not what you've done. Exactly, and it, it it always will go like that, and and it even that part that part of the narrative like even seems to ma- get magnified the longer you're at a place. Um, I find I, I do find it interesting. There's some coaches that it just seems like they don't stay at places for a long time because of that. Like then the pressure starts mounting, and and if you have you catch a bad bad break like this year, you know what if what if Creighton had a team full of seniors and the season ended without uh, the Jays getting a chance to prove themselves in March and Greg McDermott, you know, getting that opportunity to get past the first weekend for the first time. Um, and then next year they're like rebuilding. And that, again. And they're rebuilding. Yeah. The yeah. people will be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I do think he proved a lot. To, I mean, if you were objectively looking at, he was Biggie's coach of the year for a reason. He and his staff, I thought on a game to game basis, did a really incredible job. Uh, molding game plans, crafting game plans, adjusting in mid games. Like he had a good grasp of his roster. He knew when to sub guys in and out. Uh, when he found a combination that worked, he stuck with it. I mean, the the, the move that'll probably get uh, recognized the most uh, with, with against Seton Hall in both of those games, going small when he did late, um, won won both of those games uh, at Seton Hall and and in Omaha. So, you know he deserves a lot of credit for what he did this year. I think, I think some fans maybe who were on the fence or just kind of like wondering if the Jays can get over the hump, perhaps that they were, um, you know, perhaps they, they have enough evidence. I think that's always what it comes down to. Like, do you have enough evidence to form your, or sway your opinion one way or the other? Cause it's sports. We all have an opinion of what we think is going to happen. Right. And so, um, I mean, to me, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what he does with this, with this group with a few more pieces and, and uh, but I thought that the coaching job and um, the sort of like use or, or um, the way that, the way that he molded that roster uh, was impressive this year. Yeah. Given all the flaws they had. Oh yeah. Um, speaking of next year for, for the Jays, I should note that these way too early, Top 25 polls are coming out, and uh, Creighton's ranked very high. Yeah. So, What's the uh, highest you've seen him? I saw him at two. What? Did you really? At two on ESPN. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Borzillo had the Jays at number two. Um, where else? Are they? USA Today had him at five. I think NBC Sports had him at four or five. Um, yeah, get ready. Stadium, Jeff Goodman had him at three. Get ready for the hype machine, man. That that's going to build. And obviously, there's some roster questions. I wrote about it a little bit um, over the weekend. 
where the there's a scenario where Creighton could return basically ninety percent. It's like ninety six percent of its scoring in minutes. All five starters, you know, seven of the top eight rotation players from a year ago, and then you on top of that you add in. Jacob Epperson coming off of injury. Ryan Kalkbrenner is a top 100 recruit. Those are two big guys that might help solve some of the size issues that the Jays dealt with. Uh, Antoine Jones is a versatile 6'6 guy who could play. Uh, maybe he could play the five if you want to go super small again, or he could, you know, add some bulk and size at the four. Um, so he's a transfer from Memphis that'll be eligible. Davion Mintz was out this year with an injury uh, at 79 games or yeah, started 79 games in his career for the Jays. He Now, he's one of those guys who has a decision to make, though, because he's graduating. And, you know, one of the reasons why he wanted to redshirt when he did, probably around December, late December is when he made the decision, was because he wanted to have a senior year that he could enjoy and didn't want to be sort of banged up all year, dealing with a high ankle sprain that just was heal. It, it struggled. He had It just wasn't healing quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think he felt like he got to full strength until February. And at the time when he made the decision, he just didn't know. So he's like, I want I want a true full senior season. You never know how, uh, how things are going to play out after college. So let's try to make the most of this experience. So does that mean that he's cool with being a 20 minute a game guy off the bench? Because, right. you know, like I said, all five starters can come back. Or does he need to go? Does he want to go elsewhere and grad transfer? So he has a decision to make. I think Tyshawn Alexander probably has a decision to make too, because I would imagine, even though he didn't get a lot of love, I mean, he was a all the first team All Big East guy. Tyshawn was, but he's not. I mean, when you look at the mock drafts, his name's not pop, popping up. But I, I've got to imagine that if NBA scouts start looking at the at the film and uh, looking at what he did against some of these other some of the top scorers in the big East, Sadiq Bay, Marcus Howard, um, uh, Miles Powell, those guys, he locked them all down. And mm-hmm. so. You Two of which that. are first team all Americans. Yeah. Right. And Sadiq Bay is looking like a first round draft pick. Yeah. At least what the conversation's like. So, I mean, you, cu- you couple his def- Tyson's defense with his offensive efficiency and the improvement it's, he's made on that side of the game. Like I gotta imagine that it's somewhat intriguing to to professional scouts. It's just a matter of how intrigued how intrigued are they, and is it enough to convince Tyshawn Alexander that the time is now to go? Uh, one of the factors to consider too in this process is that I don't know what's happening with the the pre draft NBA yeah. schedule. You know, like things are getting pushed back. Is there going to be a combine? Are, are players going to even be able to work out individually for teams? Um, if that if all of that's canceled, then a guy like Tyson Alexander, who's kind of on the fringe, try, should I test the waters? Maybe he just decides to stay because it's not worth it. You, the risk is too great, of, you know. If you if you declare not knowing um, what they truly think of you, and they you know maybe they don't have a full picture of who you are, so yeah, stay in a year proving yourself. Um, I think that you might see more guys across the country going that route as opposed to jumping and, and trying to, you know, like I said, going, going to workouts is pretty valuable to have that in-person sort of look at you. And then obviously the combine is where a lot of players have raised their profile considerably um, right before, you know, they have to decide whether or not they're staying or going. So we'll yeah. see what Tyson does, but he's another guy that, that can make a decision. But even then, 
they have until like what late May to to. That's well. That's the other thing too. Is like everything is technically pushed. they got to declare by late April, but that may change. That might change, and usually they have to return to decide whether they're staying in the draft or returning by late May, but that might change. Mm-hmm. So the process is so like up in the air that maybe yeah. a guy like Tyshawn's just like you know what I'm going to focus on. I already know what I got to get better at. I remember Marcus Foster. Uh, I talked to him after his junior year about whether or not he wanted to go test the waters and go pro. And he's like, why? I already know exactly what they're going to tell me. And yeah. I already know what I need to work on. So I'm just going to like go in a bunker somewhere. His place was actually some random uh, old school gym in Kansas city, downtown Kansas city. Oh really? And work out like every day because yeah. he already knew like, this is what I got to do. So maybe that's what Tyshawn does. So, yeah. But even again, even, even, uh, with some question marks for the Jays roster wise, those aren't like um, it, it's not. We're, we're talking about one or two guys here. Um, that there's there's obviously a lot of talent. It's so out. interesting though because it's like now you have to McDermott now has to combine. Like in some ways, they became what they became on accident. You know, like they kind of became that lineup of death at the end of games based on necessity. And yeah. now you don't have to do that anymore. I mean, now even just like you bring up Davion Mintz, it's like, holy cow, that's right. Like he was on the bench. Or Jacob yeah. Epperson, how do you move him in? And I, what, what do you do with, like, just how do you, how do you mix it, you know? And like, obviously it's a good problem to have. Um, it's different because, you know, with Nebraska, they've got a, they're not going to return anybody pretty much um, that made significant minutes last year. So you're, combining a little bit of new and a little bit of old. Um, and now with Creighton though, it's, it's, you've gotten established and you know that this basically works, but you also know that these guys are super talented and how do you use that and create something new? It's just, it's going to be an interesting kind of stirring of a pot of how you kind of get all this together and make it somewhat like what it was last year. Yeah. It's such a good point. Cause like Creighton actually found a way to map, like it found a way to use its, lack of hype to its advantage uh-huh. and now you know not that the jays are going to be like seven footers all over the court here you know they're going to add a couple guys uh-huh. um but still you know perhaps it doesn't there's not as many opportunities or maybe it doesn't make as much sense to go small um as that small because like you said you're not sort of handcuffed in a way that's like oh, christian bishops in foul trouble now what yeah go over five guards right um so because you usually wouldn't think, oh, all right, yeah. So Seton Hall has a six eleven guy at the four, and a seven foot two guy at the five. Let's put a lineup out there that has where our tallest guy is six five. Right. <laughs> if we, if you could do that, like you're not thinking that's doable. Right. So, um, yeah, the lineup of death, so to speak, of those five guards. What happens to that? Christian Bishop, even like how much five was if 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 Epperson's healthy, if Ryan Kaufbrenner is able to make the transition quickly, how much center does Christian Bishop play? Mm-hmm. I mean, he got he he really expanded his game at the five, but he's not a traditional five. He's undersized there, so maybe he he fits more as a four. And so yeah, there's a lot of uh, sort of lineup versus maybe it gives the Jays more lineup versatility. I guess you can never be upset about that, um, but what we saw this year just specific to um, Creighton finding a way with the pieces that it had and sort of maximizing that they may not be in a position where they have to do that. So yeah, uh, you mentioned the Huskers. Yeah. 
basically a new team coming. Yeah. Although a few guys are on the roster already, so we kind of just hadn't seen them play. Yeah. An update on on where Nebraska stands right now in terms of its uh um you know guys who are in and guys who are out. All right, here's how it stands right now. So I got this broken up into technically four sections. I've tweeted out this graphic three times, twice, and people hate it. Um, but I'm going to continue to do it. Why um, do they hate it? Uh, because it's like it's actually it's like not very appealing to look at. Um, and because you know people have is, is people need your, to definitely f- reach in terms of finding reasons to be upset nowadays. Right? Is this your spreadsheet? Uh, like, yes. yeah. Oh, okay. I like it, but thank you. I mean, well, so here, so here's how it breaks down. So the 2020 class is currently four deep. So you've got Kobe Webster, who's the Western Illinois point guard that's coming in. Kobe King, the Wisconsin shooting guard, 6'4", scored 10 points a game with the Badgers. Teddy Allen, 31 points a game. Juco, Latman, Juco, 6'8", long. Um so those are those are the four new guys. You add those into Shamil Stevenson, Delano Manton, Derek Walker. Those are the sit-out transfers. You're going to add those with the four guys that have currently played last year but are going to stay um, as of right now, which is Thor, Cole Rope, Kevin Cross, and Ivan. Um, and then you've got Cam Mack as kind of a question mark. You know, he's declared for the NBA draft. I would bet a lot of money that he doesn't come back to Nebraska. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing. Um, which means obviously Deshaun Burke and Jerry Green have moved on. Um, as it currently stands, including Cam Mack on the roster, which you have to do because he's technically still has his eligibility, they have one open scholarship spot. Um, if you assume that Cam Mack is not coming back, um, which again, we're not assuming he's going to, that's two open scholarship spots. So with that in mind, that means that there's going to be at least nine new guys that come in next year if you mm. fill in those two spots. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah, nine at least. And that's um, assuming that nobody from last year's roster uh, also leaves. That means that Cole Rope, Kevin Cross, Thor, and Ivan all stay. Um, right. So that's a brand new roster. Completely, completely, completely brand new. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of try and theoretically look at what Nebraska's uh, – like starting five looks like or what their rotation looks like. And if you do that, it still kind of takes a while for you to get to, um, you know, somebody from last year, you know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, as it stands, Nebraska is returning. Oh, I looked it up. Um, at this point, they're returning 31% of their points, 43% of the rebounds. That's mostly because of Ivan um, and 32% of the threes in terms of production uh, from last year. Um, and you know, Nebraska's on the transfer market. They, this is kind of what they do. They've been in contact with a ton of different guys. Um, it's kind of, it kind of changes updates every single day, the way that I understand it. You know, when somebody enters the transfer portal, they have a, um, a system basically where if they feel like there's a guy that, um, they feel like can play at this level that, that, that can play at Nebraska, they reach out to them and kind of start to gauge interest. And um, that's what they've, they've done with quite a few people. Um, that includes, you know, Landers Nolly, that includes DJ Carton, um, Trey McGowan's, who's a, a point guard from Pittsburgh who played with Shamil Stevenson. Uh, if they were on the same roster for a semester um, and uh, he'd technically be a set out transfer. So 
Um, I think what they're kind of looking for right now is, you know, you assume Kobe Webster is going to be the point. Um, you have him playing point, Delano Banton technically playing point guard as well. I think they're kind of looking for somebody to come in to sit out and be kind of a point guard for the next year. Um, to be really honest with you, this whole Cam Mack situation changes a lot of plans, in my opinion. I mean, the plan was not for Cam Mack to come in, be here one year and leave. You know, he was a sophomore. Um, I mean, I think that you would – if you take Cam Cam just based on talent and what he can do, he's your – as I wrote a year ago, he was, he was your Monte Morris. Like, he was your guy that kind of leads you into the next stage of um, – of what Nebraska basketball could be as your point guard. Um, and with him declaring for the draft and, and probably not coming back, um, that changes plans in a way where you bring in Kobe Webster, you bring in maybe another point guard, Trey McGowan's uh, possibly. Um, and uh, so it's just a total overhaul part two. I mean, that's basically what this is. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me for a million reasons, but you know, I was asked by somebody recently, like, what do you, you know, what do you expect from Nebraska basketball next year? What do you think? I have no idea. I have no clue. I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. One, I don't like, I don't know who a starting five would necessarily be. Like I could tell you who I would start, but that's, I don't make, you know, more than $3 million a year to make those decisions. Um, and also you have to take into consideration, like everyone has to become, you know, eligible, you know, grades wise right now is a really odd situation for the NCAA in terms of, you know, making sure everyone's getting their grades in and that you know, maybe maybe everybody can now make a case of immediate eligibility uh, instead of sit-outs, you know, right. because of just kind of this odd situation. Um, maybe that rule gets passed anyway and there's like one-time transfer. And so it's just, I, I don't know. Because the other thing you have to think of too is case they came back doesn't come back, you know, that's two more scholarship spots. Maybe they bring in two guys that one's a freshman or, or one's a transfer, let's just say, and those two guys are good enough to start as well. So we're, there's people that out there that could be heavy minute contributors that we don't even know about yet um, or, or that we've heard and we don't necessarily know if they're going to come here or not. So it's a total um, – it's basically just hitting the restart button. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're playing Nintendo 64 and you – take out the cartridge and you blow on it again and you slam it in there and you hit reset. Like it's basically, basically what they're doing. Um, and no matter what, I mean, I think I've probably talked on this podcast about this before, but no matter what, they're basically mixing three different groups now where you've got your 2020 class mixing with those three sit out transfers who have been around and played and know the system, but um, haven't, haven't, you know, obviously gotten minutes with guys who kind of cut their teeth last year, like Ivan and Kevin and Thor, um, who actually went out and battled. And do you kind of give them some benefit of the doubt of, of giving them some minutes because they went through what they went through last year? Um, you know, if you bring in someone, um, you know, you bring in a big guy that that's more experienced than Ivan Drago, you know, what does that say? like one one thing what does that say two what does that do to Ivan's minutes three does that make him want to go somewhere else like there's just still so many questions up in the air um Ivan has said he's going to come back and and I'm not saying that he's going to transfer by any means but it's just the dynamics of the roster I think are still so up in the air that it's just really hard to kind of see what next year looks like right now it does feel now I will say this Maybe I'm proven wrong as once we get to see these guys actually in person, but it feels like there's a talent upgrade 
Um, you mentioned all year that like these three transfers who were sitting out were impressive impressing the coaches in practice. So like they knew what they were kind of getting with those guys. But if you think about last year, the ads that were made or, or really the gr- core group that Nebraska was relying on, most of those guys with the exception of maybe Hanif who had sat out, you know, a good with an injury even yeah. yeah with an injury like those guys hadn't even experienced d1 ball mm-hmm. what was thor's like experience level at on the d1 level not a ton pop-up duty yeah it's like him and hanif were like the most experienced in terms of knowing what the rigors of d1 was like what the caliber of athlete you're dealing with um and even though they you know kobe webster's coming from the summit league um you know some of the guys who were sitting out uh maybe had weren't playing as as consistently like Delano Banton as talented as he's playing at Western Kentucky you know like sure they haven't been exposed to what Big Ten basketball is like on a regular basis but at least they have D1 experience yeah and you have a couple guys like Kobe King who do know what the D1 level is like Teddy Allen played in the Big 12 so he like I think that that is a sign of good things I mean obviously they got to put it all together and like you said sort out a rotation and starting lineup and all that but to me, they're, they're D1 players. Yeah. Versus guys who yeah. are still, are, are we sure? Or they got to prove it. Where these guys have already proven it. They're recruited to play at this level and they're playing at this level. I remember Kobe Webster, he was on the Western, well, he played at Western Illinois. So he's on the Western Illinois team that played Creighton in the season opener two years ago. And he was a handful. Uh, you know, just the way he was dribbling, attacking inside, getting into the heart of the defense, making plays. He didn't shoot it well that that game, but I think he scored like 20 or 22 points. And uh, it, it was kind of like a wake-up call moment for a lot of Creighton's guards where they were like, oh, we don't have Kyrie Thomas anymore to lock down their, the best perimeter player. Somebody's got to take this uh, this job on. Yeah, Kobe, Web- Kobe Webster uh, benefited from sort of the – a team that wasn't yet ready to lock down on, on the perimeter. And so, yeah, I, to, to your point, good. like so we'll I looked it up before that's, that's really good perspective. Cause that's one thing. Yeah. I haven't seen him play before. So, but you have, so that's great. Um, to your point, I looked it up once in terms of like how many games, how many division one games Nebraska had on last year's roster before the season um, and this next year's roster. And it wasn't quite as drastic as I thought just based on, Hanif, Mate, and Deshaun, excuse me, had played quite a few games combined. Gotcha. Um, but you also have to counteract that with, you know, Charlie Easley, who was a walk-on freshman who was put on scholarship first semester. Kevin Cross, Ivan, yeah. uh, Cam, Gervais, Thor, had basically never played Division One basketball. Basically, never. Like, you know, Cam had been in JUCO, Gervais had been in JUCO, Charlie was high school last year. Nicole, Kevin, Ivan, they were all high school last year. Thor was an afterthought when he was, you know, his two years at Nebraska under Tim Miles. Um, and so this year, I, 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 it's a good point. I might have to go back and especially with the addition of Kobe Webster, just how many games in Division One basketball they played. But now, now what you have is like, let's say, you know, Kobe Webster – you have a point guard who has played Division One basketball in the Summit League. Sure, just the Summit League, but also still Division One basketball. He's gone to he's played at Indiana before. He's played at Creighton before. He's not going to be rattled because the first time he sees kind of a crowd. You know what I mean? Kobe Webster played in the Big Ten before. Teddy Allen played in the Big Twelve before. Delano Banton played at Wisconsin before. Played Division One basketball. Derek Walker 
been at Tennessee, played in the SEC before. Shamil, you know, has played in the ACC before. Lapman has played in the Big 12. And, and, that, and that's not even, you know, taking into consideration if there's, if there's two new guys that join that have had Division One experience. Like, yeah. you just have not shared experience, but experience of, like, this is what it takes to be a Division One basketball player, which I think is an element of last year's roster that they just didn't have. They just didn't. You know, like I just how rarely do you see freshmen or first year players on rosters play as much as all of Nebraska's freshmen and first year players did? Usually, if you're on a healthy basketball program, you bring in a freshman in a lot of times. This is not quite like football where you get you sit them, you redshirt them, you wait for them to grow and then you put them in. Or if they are a freshman, they're one of the best freshmen in the class and they you know, our starters and they're, you know, really good. Yeah, it's um, usually like the top tier one and done type freshmen are right. the ones that make an impact. Everyone else is either playing sort of a supplementary role or kind of waiting his turn or just flat out redshirting. Right. Because experience wins, especially in the high major level at the high major level and in, in like these big time conferences. Right. But now the question becomes, how do you get all of these personality? You can have talent for days. You can have as much talent as you want. Um but if you can't get a cohesive unit to play like the way you need to play, then it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And I, not to sit here and dog on Richard Patino, but I think Minnesota's talent level was as high as you needed to be in the Big Ten this year. I really do. Um, he obviously kept his job, um, but you're talking about two guys that I voted first team, second team, all Big Ten. You have two of those guys on your roster and you're finishing – you know, in the bot, you're playing on the first day of the big 10 tournament. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and so I, and, that, and again, this isn't not to just sit here and dog on them, but that's what I look at Minnesota last year. And I think they had all the talent they needed, but it just didn't work together. You know what I mean? And for whatever reason. And so you can bring in, you know, Kobe Webster, Kobe King, Teddy Allen, you know, mix them in with, with whoever, um, with Derek Walker, Delano, Shamil, um, but they don't get along or, you know, you, what you're doing is you're bringing in a lot of guys who are used to being the guy, you know, yeah. Kobe Webster's used to having the ball in his hands as is Delano, as is Teddy Allen, you know, Shamil Stevens is going to want to get his. Um, then you're kind of telling four guys who battled for you last year, you know, Hey, Kevin, you might get five minutes this game or, Hey, you know, Ivan, you know, Derek is playing really well. You're only going to come, you're coming off the bench. You're going to get 10. Thor, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like I really appreciate what you did, but I don't, you know, I, I would bet on Thor playing just based on like, he's so consistent and he's never going to mess up. Um, and so he's going to fill in whenever people screw up basically. Um, but it's just, how do you, how do you manage that roster? And this is kind of where the GM side of Fred Hoiberg's brain comes into play where, you know, he, he's, been in the front office of NBA teams, you know, he had to do it at the, in Chicago in terms of managing, you know, Rondo and Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler. Like he, he's kind of, this is, this is his, you know, forte technically is getting all the talent and mixing it together, but it's a, it's a lot harder, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to do than just to say. So it's going to be really interesting, but I also think, again, it's not over. I don't, it's, it's definitely not over. And we were talking about this, you know, yesterday on the phone, just, I, we, I don't know how long it's going to last, you know, like they, they have until April 15th to get freshmen technically, but you know, they were getting, 
guys in May last year, transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, Creighton got a transfer in June in, at CWS last year. Right. So yeah, this could be we not know how long, so how long yeah. this uncertainty of like what this team is lasts. Like it, we could be in May, mm-hmm. in May and still not fully know, you know, like have an idea even of, of who's on the team. Right. I, I don't, I don't know. And I do think if anybody's going to leave, um, they're going to do it sooner rather than later. Cause they're going to want to get on a roster and, get there in June or, you know, try and, you know, it's assuming that school is still a thing, um, get there in the summer, get moved, you know, you want to kind of get things figured out. Um, but it's just, I don't, I don't know if, when we'll know what this roster looks like. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, like, again, this is, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if I should be, I mean, I'm definitely not passing judgment, but I think it's something worth noticing or putting like, just sort of like a, Will this matter in the future? Um, because Nebraska has been so active and bought into this like idea of let's find immediate ready-made talent on the transfer market as quickly as we can. And like, you know, if, if we have a chance to get a guy, let's go get him. It seems like, I'm sure this is not totally accurate, but it seems like Nebraska is almost punting. Like this is the impression that you get from from uh, the way that they've gone about it these first couple of years is that Nebraska is kind of punting on long-term development. And so um, to me, I think it would be important for the program, just from a perception standpoint to, I don't know, like invest in a guy like Kevin Cross, invest in a guy like uh, a rope because you had a, a, you know, Nebraska found a, was that Samari Curtis from Ohio who like mm-hmm. was on the roster, but then was like, eh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not going to wait my turn here. I'm going somewhere else. And there's obviously there's more than just the idea of there's more that goes into it. But when you look at it from as a whole, like Nebraska is not going to have any true freshmen on the roster. Right. Uh, at this moment, they won't. Yeah. Right. It's, it's possible that the Huskers wouldn't have that. And so it's like, um, I think, I think, and Honestly, I think there would be a benefit to invest in the guys like that, to have some experienced guys who've been around your program for a while. And I think there's some upside with a guy like Kevin Cross and um, even in a rope too. Like if they, you get them into the system and you work with them and, and get them a chance to sort of develop their bodies to where they're uh, Big Ten ready. Um, I, I guess I'm intrigued to see what route Nebraska goes in over the long haul. And if it becomes sort of a like continuous sort of, turnstile where transfers are going in and out and and it's it almost has the feel of an nba franchise where you're just like all right let me assemble the best talent i can for this year and then just go with it yeah and then at the end of the year we start again and like free agency happens and we just do what we need to do Mm -hmm. if that's maybe that's the way the form that it takes and again like horberg's proven he has a track record so uh you know like you, you there an, an element of me is like well he'll figure it out it's fine but i'm also wondering what kind of ramifications it might have over the long haul if recruits kind of look at nebraska and be like well i don't know who i'm going to be playing with in two years so why yeah exactly that? right yeah. Yeah. like the the the, the it's a good it's a good it's a good thought um because i've thought about that a lot too of like you know the way that i and and you look at creighton I, I've used this example before of, you know, Creighton lost to Nebraska by 20 last year, right? They then returned nearly everybody 
and they won the Big East, right? Same yeah. kind of group, the core of guys, they grew together, shared experience, you move on. Virginia loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They return basically the exact same roster. They win a national title. Shared experience, growth as a program, moving forward, all these things. And that's not what you're currently getting with your Nebraska basketball program, right? However, you can make the argument that that could, just because it happened this year doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the future. So you look at like Kobe King as a sophomore, um, as it, at least I think he is. Um, I'm not totally sure on that whole situation. Yeah, what um, his eligibility since he left the team. I don't. I have no idea. Right. I, yeah. I have. I'm not sure. I've I've seen both that he'd be a junior, that he'd be a sophomore. I know he's sitting. He's likely going to sit out, but he could also become immediately eligible. I don't really know. Right. Um, but let's just let's just. So he's a junior or a sophomore. Regardless, he's an he's not a senior. You mm-hmm. also have a Cole Delano Banton's a sophomore. Ivan's a sophomore. Kevin Cross is a sophomore. Shamil is a junior. Derek Walker is a junior. Teddy Allen's a junior. Lat Mayan is a junior. So what you could argue is there's the core that you were looking for. Right. But maybe you have these guys and you keep all of them and then they move up. So then they're seniors and juniors and you had the shared experience of the last year. Um, and the year prior to that with, with Kevin and Thor, or I guess Thor would be, um, would be gone cause he'd be a senior, but Kevin and Ivan and uh, a Cole, if he stays. Um, so that's kind of the argument there that just because it happened once doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Like, you know, it couldn't be different, but at the same time though, to your point, nothing that they've really done over the last 12, 13 months suggests to me that that's the way it's going to be. You know, I mean, I th- the, the fact that we can sit here and pretend like we knew that this was going to happen all along, that they were going to, everyone was going to leave. And I, if you would have told me they were going to bring in nine to 10 or 11 more guys year two, I wouldn't have believed you because yeah. that's just not what college basketball programs do. Right. When you bring in, I mean, last year, think about it. Their scholarship players, freshman, 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 sophomore, junior, 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 right? You, you just take that in any basketball program. You assume maybe one or two possibly leave, um, maybe. But the fact that there's so much you know, upheaval and turnover, um, and it's just – it's not what I expected. And it, and it's, and it you know, happens twice. It's, it's not quite a pattern. So if next year they bring in seven, eight more guys, then it's like, okay, this is what they're doing. But of those nine, though – Three of them are the sit-outs, right? True. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just to mm-hmm. clarify, because you're so not. They, oh my god! One, two, three, four, five. Four. So there could be six new guys plus the three sit-outs, um, right? And then seven, eight if if uh, if anybody else leaves. Yeah. Um, yep. Still, it's just craziness. It's craziness. Um, yeah. I, I the the counter argument to sort of like being a developmental program is like unless you're Gonzaga or Virginia or I don't know Michigan State this kind of kind of has that developmental piece to it Michigan when Beeline was there unless you're at the top end you're going to have well even the top end teams have dips like Virginia technically kind of had a dip even though it found itself at the end of the year this year they just don't dip very far Whereas a program like Creighton, when it dips, you know, after Doug McDermott left, it was last in the Big East. Um, when that year that you mentioned where Nebraska demolished the Jays in Lincoln, 
uh, Creighton was on the verge of making the NCAA tournament, but missed it. And so you always have these like ups and downs. You're kind of on a roller coaster as development of program because there will be times when you're you need contributors, but they're all in sort of that early developmental stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas Nebraska is the way it has built this program the last couple of years, and maybe with the way it's trending is like even if it's developing guys, it's like, well, we, we can go get some talent right now. We'll always have ready-made talent available. And so yeah. like maybe it lowers the, it raises the floor. And so you're not like, I guess that's sort of the, the long-term sort of hope for it. But yeah. And I think that like, and again, in an ideal world, what you want to do is you want to mix both. Right. So, so Hoiberg's last year at Iowa state, um, you had, George Nying, Monte Morris, Naz Long, um, Bryce DeJohn Jones, Jamil McKay. Um, the year prior to that, see 2014, you have DeAndre Kane, Melvin Edgem is a senior, George Nying, Monte Morris, Naz Long. The year before that, you've got uh, Melvin Edgem, George Nying, Chris Babb, Corey Lucius. Um, is kind of the 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 go between with those two, but like there there is some consistency. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. And that's one thing that it, it, it's, it's curious is, you know, how do you find that consistency? The year before that, Royce White, Chris Allen, Melvin Edgem, like like you like there's there's consistent. There's just it's it's one year to the next you have the same, and then you also bring in different transfers. Right. And so I'm I, I, I'm curious how that's going to go in the future that's why i think you know you look at that group like i pointed out maybe that's their core maybe that's where you you look in the future those are the same kind of guys um the other team i would actually bring up is seton hall nebraska beat seton hall pretty good last year and they brought bay back basically the exact same team and also won the East. yeah so it's just interesting it's just it's really interesting and we've not talked to fred hoiberg since everything that's happened we haven't gone over the season um yeah, I don't think he'll he'll speak anytime soon um, with everything going on, and they're they're currently recruiting, and um, I think they kind of want to stay out of the spotlight for a little bit, um, and maybe not remind people that they weren't very good, and and kind of how their season ended. Um, so it's just kind of this holding pattern of of waiting to see who they get and tracking the transfer portal and kind of going from there. Yeah, I think everybody's in that holding pattern. It's kind mm-hmm. of a weird state. Not only do we not have games, but college coaches can't really, they can't go out on the road and recruit. They can't host recruits in, on campus. So they're doing what oh, we're doing. Oh, man. Like it's just zooming. They're zooming. Uh, <laughs> they're Skyping. They're FaceTiming. They're texting. They're calling as best they can to form relationships to fill out the 2020 2021 rosters. A uh, school like Creighton has a big class uh, coming up for 2021. Uh, it's going to need to replace a lot of dynamic scorers and contributors. So like the Jays were hoping to kind of they, they they felt like they already had a head start because 2020 that class wasn't very big so they could work ahead the last few months but they were hoping this like these next few weeks was their opportunity to kind of get to kind of continue to be out in front of some other programs with 20 in, in terms of 2021 recruits uh, while everyone else was filling out its 2020 roster but they don't get that opportunity now like they can kind of you can still communicate with the guys you know but uh, evaluate and and find in those under the radar talents is yeah. a little bit harder. So yeah. The only other thing I would add before we sign off. Yep. Um, the coaching carousel is also an interesting little thing right now. 
Um, and I talked to Tim Miles about it yesterday. Um, he's, he was looking for a job. And as it currently stands, there's only five jobs that are, I think there's seven, actually, no, it changed. There's seven jobs that are currently open. And wow. none, of, none of them are high major. That's and, insane, Chris. And a year, ago, right, a year ago right now, there were 17 high major, mid-major jobs that are open. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because you were talking about transfer portal and recruiting. You talk about NFL free agency. Like all that is still kind of moving on. But college basketball coaching carousel, athletic directors are like, you know what? We're going to not deal with this right now. Yeah. We're going to not fire you. We'll just keep you on next year because I have a million other things going on. Um, so, um, talk to Tim miles about that. He's pretty much expecting to be an analyst again for a year. He was, he's been involved, you know, he was involved early in the coaching job, like trying to find a job and, um, the Wyoming job kind of did, did, didn't, didn't pan out. And he was actually in studio, um, when everything happened, Fred Hoiberg. And, uh, so that, that story is now online. I wanted to just kind of throw that in there. Um, okay. that's, so that's one interesting going, going on in college basketball too. It's just this, you know, remember, remember how many jobs were open last year? Like it was Wait. just insane. And now it's just, it's just not, not around anymore. Especially at the top. And then you knew, okay, once like a school like UCLA fills its position, then trickle down effect. Like there's going to have an impact, uh, another wave of hires mm-hmm. is going to have to make Michigan. Well, I guess Michigan went to Juwan Howard. So that didn't necessarily have a ripple effect in college basketball, but like that type of thing is like, once a big job gets filled, that means more jobs open. And I mean, right it just now. starts. Yeah. And I, and I think personally, I, I think at some point there could have been a scenario in which like Texas was open this year or Indiana yeah. possibly if both of those teams go to the NIT and just stink it up and their athletic directors get upset about it. Minnesota, like there could have been some big jobs um, in circumstances and you know, I've kind of changed that. So it's just super interesting, kind of weird time for college basketball as a whole, as sports as a whole. It's just bizarre. So yeah. Um, all right, Chris, we want to end the pod. We last week we forgot to end the pod the way that we normally do. I guess right. before we do this, uh, uh, another special shout out to our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings. Give them a call. Check them out online if you're you feel like you have a craving for some wings or, or, or some some good food, some good eats at this time. Obviously, support. Our, our hardworking friends in the community who are uh, trying to make a living, um, trying to keep their restaurants alive. So carry out, what is it? Carry out Wednesdays? Is that a thing? I, I don't know. Carry out Thursdays, whatever you subscribe to do. Carry out whenever. Yeah. 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 Carry out every day. Cooking, cooking is really boring. Everyone, um, this, everybody, everybody's doing two things, right? If you're able to grow facial hair, you are because you might as well. Right, I am a little right. bit coming. It looks yeah. good. No, it looks good. Um, and everyone needs to accept that we're all going to gain the quarantine fifteen. So yeah. just eat local. Like, don't worry about the salads. Go get go get mom's pizza. Like, go go get buffalo wings and rings. Just just do it for the community. Um. All right. If Nebraska and Creighton played today, Chris, who you got? Um. I think it would be shut down extremely quickly um, in a panic with ambulances. Uh, but I think Creighton probably scores the first bucket, wins 2 nothing. Would they – yeah, would they want to – so you're saying they want to get to halftime. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that they secretly try and create a basketball game and they get caught, like, right as it tips off. 
Gotcha. All you know right. what I mean? Like it's almost like when you like when you and your siblings are goofing around and you get caught right as you start goofing around. Like kind of kind of one of those situations. So Creighton wins by by two, but they score quickly and and very like shockingly easily. I wonder if we can get the NCAA to give us the like the go ahead once things sort of settle down a little bit and we can uh, return to some sort of sense of normalcy. Who knows when that'll be? July? I don't know. August? If, It'd be cool if they just allow teams to just kind of scrimmage for the public, sort of like it's a charity scrimmage, but charity for That's all of us who were say. basketball star starved. <laughs> so I mean, like Nebraska and Creighton could play. Just that yeah. come down, meet up at a, at a gym in Ashland or something, and let them go uh, for for uh, for you know two halves and put it online and let and 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 you, and you and you raise money for something in the community that yeah. lost a lot of money i who says no and raise spirits yeah I miss basketball so much i know i'm gonna all get right. it down we'll be back again uh I, I don't know maybe in a couple weeks mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes down something to note too chris is next week the uh, ncaa um, FBI investigation into college basketball, the bribery scandal is going to pop up onto the radar again. Mm-hmm. HBO's releasing a documentary where right. it centers on Christian Dawkins, who was a key figure in this and got sentenced to a couple felonies for his involvement and maybe a, a year in jail. He's, he's, on a, he's appealing this thing, his sentence, but that may be something that we got to discuss here in the future too. So Yeah, maybe we watch it and, and come out and, and talk about it a little bit. Yeah. And obviously other things involving uh, player movement, roster changes too. Right, right. All right, Chris. It was was fun, man. It's nice to sit down and talk some hoops. Yeah. Um, Hopefully you guys out there listening enjoyed it. We thank you for listening.